back from the racetrack, off into outer space. It's Press Play on Tape, episode 32. I'm only your host, Aaron, and tonight with me I've got my co-pilots, Tony the Vic Viper and Damien the Twin Bee. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, roger, hey, roger. <laughs> yes, very good. Thank you. Who am I? Twin B. Twin B. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind that. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll, I'll take Vic Viper, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, just just fresh from having a good old chat about uh, Vic Vic and his mate Lord British the other night, actually with the uh, Arcade Perfect Boys, which is a, a mm. good good primer for what we're covering tonight. Very good. Uh, I love a love a shoot 'em up. We are, and that's it. We're all things shmup. I could have called it, I suppose, the pew 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 cast, but yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know about that. Ah, dude, you haven't lived yeah. until you've had to commentate your own video of you playing R-Type on the Amstrad and having your add on your own sound effects because the sound out wasn't working. <laughs> that would have been a bit ugly. Yeah, uh, yeah not, not good, dude. Oh, I don't know. My, <laughs> my, 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 my 11-year-old thought it was hilarious, and she keeps asking me if we can do another one. Well, get her to do the sound effects. I can't stop her laughing because the moment she starts going pew 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 just absolutely loses it. <laughs> but hey. But um yeah. So it's um shmups, I think is all things I mean we've missed Shmuptober just, but that's okay. So we can still talk about it. It's never a bad time. You can do it in summary. <laughs> oh okay. that's it, absolutely. But um but yeah, I thought before we get too far into that though, how have you gentlemen been? What's news in your world? Well, look, for me, for the ongoing saga post um, the Great Hobart floods of 2018, uh, I've got a couple of steps forward, but um, I've still got um, plastering to go on walls, painting after the plastering and then carpet to be put in. So every time I think I'm getting progress, the builders come do one thing and they're like, oh, we're not going to be back for another week. No, you know, we're not going to be back for another two weeks. So again, that's really affecting my um, my game playing time. But uh, what that has forced me to do is I've actually finished Thimbleweed Park on the Switch, wow. which is awesome. Love it, so good, and um, a nice little um, uh, for any fans of Lucasfilm games, as a lot of people are. Oh, it's just spot on, absolutely spot on. I uh, love the whole game right through to the ending. Fantastic stuff. And I have actually been playing my C64 Mini. Now, especially that we've got the new firmware out that allows you to have multiple files on the same USB stick. So that makes it a lot easier, a lot friendlier to load things. Uh, and you can also stick cartridge files on there as well, which I didn't know before. Uh, you, could, you could probably have done that before, but, um, yeah, it's very good. God, yeah, I still haven't played one. Not that you I'm in a, a mini. Yeah, not that I'm in a great rush to, but, you know, that's... Yeah, I've got my, my one at my um, uh, holiday home um, down there. For, I've got that and the SNES mini down there. For my um, gaming away from home stuff. <laughs> oh, it's a reasonable, nice one. yeah, it's a nice re- reasonable, one. reasonable selection of devices there. Yeah, so. yeah. and uh, yeah, well, like most myself, I've um, unfortunately been struggling with my back lately, but uh, we won't go into that too much. But uh, that has allowed, um, uh, meant I have been 
in a recliner more and have actually done more modern gaming in the last month than I have oh, recently. Oh, sacrilege. And even what? more sacrilege, I've been using emulation in the same lounge room using a retro freak. Well, that's not that bad. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Double sacrilege. It's a console. Double sacrilege, oh. yes, I know. Using real hardware, modern, and oh, yeah. I'll be thrown off the podcast. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> not at all, not at all. I, no. I won't throw you off. That. <laughs> That's right. We'll get, da- we'll get Daz back so he can come and talk about how much he loves the C64 Mini. He is... <laughs> he, I swear, swear that boy needs to be the uh, the poster child for it. He loves it that much. He does. He raves about it all the time. Uh, <laughs> like I love Alter Beast. Um, so, ah... <laughs> Nice. Well, anyway, I suppose anyone that follows me on Twitter or knows I've been drowning in hardware again. Uh, but, yeah, won't go into that for the much the same reasons because it's just lots of crap, lots of things to deal with. And with packs two weeks away, two or three weeks away before I head up, I've got a fair bit to get ready to, to take up and get set up. So it's looking like it's going to be a pretty cracking year this year too. So I've managed to sweet talk my way into getting an MSX2 set up and running. Uh, so that'll be and yes, so take taking Vampire Killer with me. So it'll be a, a yeah, good one, nice. good one to have running, sort of for people to have a crack at. Because dare say, a lot of them have never played it. So it's a it's a nice a nice change of pace from Castlevania. Uh, but other than that, yeah, looking like we're we're going to have quite a lot of goodies, including it'll be the uh, world's first outing of the um, consoleized Atari Lynx that I've been that I've had made up. Um, so obviously it's a console, um, but I think as I keep saying on the page, it was you know, designed by a couple of meager engineers. So as far as I'm concerned, that's close enough for me. Okay, that's right. And it was made, that's and it was six originally degrees of separation. Exactly, and it was originally made by Epics, and I mean Epics were everything home computer. So honestly, yeah, it's practically a, a home a vintage PC. Oh, and while we're on the um, talk of Epics, so the Epics brand is also. Um, come back alive. Um, Wait, what's that? The, I've been in touch with the people that are the current rights holders, um, mainly because they're asking me to write some games for some systems. Ooh. Um, oh, wow. Um, exclusive. And, uh, yes, exclusive to the Press Plan Tape podcast. And I'm even going to be extremely mean and not tell you any more details. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Oh, that's awkward. But hey, exciting! <laughs> but what? Stay, stay tuned, and more will be revealed. Woohoo! Well, how about we jump into some ships and go talk about blasting stuff? Oh, absolutely! So, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. Shmups, or, or shoot 'em ups, or shooters, or, or whatever you want to title you want to you give to them. It's they're probably one of the older genres on on computers and and consoles, I suppose, as well. Because I mean, it's you know harkening back to sort of like I mean, Space Wars, if you're going to go that far back. But yeah, you know, Space Invaders was a pretty easy to clone title. That you know, I think there was multiple systems have just multiple copies of the game under many titles and you know from that point forward like yeah we got i mean again the space invader clones or the later the galaga clones galaga galaga actually you know something topic for another podcast um mm-hmm. but yeah and i mean you know on, and on from there and then you know then we ended up through you know titles like xenon xenon 2 
and into sort of you know the the more I suppose advanced stuff that added multi-scrolling, oh, the whole range of stuff that you know there are so many to pick from on the old systems that it's it's hard to sort of pick down sort of two or three where you can go. Here are the ones that you know for me stood out, but. You know, that's what we're going to try and do anyway. So, what am I, Tony? I might throw over to you first. Do you want to hit us in on what right. one of your one of your picks are? I'm going to continue my MSX bias, as everybody would um, expect from me. Um, I'm also going to hone it even further. I'm going to stick strictly with MSX two. Wow! wow. Because a lot of these titles, not everybody will have heard of necessarily. Um, obviously, there's there's you know lots of video around old MSX One games, but MSX Two primarily came out in Japan with a little bit in Europe. So um, we'll we'll go with the heavy hitters first. Um, so one of them, it, it's actually uh, the second game in the series called Alest Two, um, and Compile were very strong supporters of MSX all the way from the beginning, um, and. There are games on MSX that are, that are only above MSX. But MS, uh, LS2 uh, is a very uh, very good shooter. It comes on floppy disk, so it's a little hard to get hold of. Uh, and you still run it in an emulator. Uh, you've just got to learn a little bit about um, setting up um, setting up floppies uh, and loading them because it is mm-hmm. a multi-load on multiple floppies, it shows the power of an MSX. MSX2 has hardware vertical scroll, so it's particularly suited to this sort of game. Okay. Uh, it managed to move, to move an impressive amount of um, objects on the screen. There is flicker, of course, but it's manageable. Okay, interesting, because I know like the, the MSX1, much like the Sega SC3000, struggled with the, the vertical scrolling in a big way, didn't it? Yes, it did, because it, uh, it didn't have any hardware assistance at all. So um, you had to move tiles, which meant 8 by 8 blocks, whereas the MSX2 graphics processor introduces fine um, vertical scrolling in hardware. Okay. Um, plus, also, um, most MSX2 machines had uh, either 64 or 128K of RAM totally devoted to video. So you could um, do things like have multiple banks and switch between them and you've got to remember MSXs have two processors. They've got their Z80 processor is the main processor, and mm-hmm. the actual graphics processor is an actual processor itself. It's not just a graphics chip. So um, especially the later processors can run commands. So they can, you can tell it to move memory from one spot to another. You can, um, uh, and you can tell it to you know have the video display in different spots in memory and things like that. Okay. Um, okay. So it, they are actually quite powerful in the right hands. And Compile, by the time they got to LS2, really were pushing the machine um, very well. Nice. So nice. what So what style of game actually is it? Because every time so, you say LS, I just think RPG, because that's, I think, <laughs> every time I, I think it sounds like a JRPG. <laughs> so it's a vertical scrolling shooter. Um, you have a primary and secondary weapon. Um, you s- select your weapons by by numbers, and the num and if you collect the same as them, um, the same number, it'll power up. Or you shoot uh, various enemies, and then yellow little like power pills will drop down. And every time you grab a power pill, um, you power up. And also, the very good thing, as long as you are powered up more than one base level, if you get hit, and you get hit a lot, because mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of things on screen, you only go down a power level, you don't die. 
unless you're on the lower lowest pattern, uh, not powered up, then you die. So uh, it has to be a quite a good entry level for beginners. It also has, like some of the other compile games, adaptive play. So the better you do, the harder it gets. Ooh, hey, that's that's unique. You didn't see a lot of that back in that era, did you? No, so it's actually quite a complex shooter. And, you know, there's a strategy. And LS2 introduces the, the ability to be able to select the special weapon you start with rather than starting with weapon zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can actually start the game, and that's your preferred default weapon for the game. Um, it also has a bit more of a story because, of course, loading off floppies, they had um, um, uh, three floppies worth of um, stuff they could load. Um, so, Tony, so- what, what sort of floppies were they? Were they three-inch or were they... Three and a half. Three and a half, okay. Yeah, uh, so MSX used MSX-DOS, which is actually file-compatible with MS-DOS. It was made at the same time as the first, first version of MS-DOS. Right. Okay. That, that's way cool. So how did, how did it go? Do you know, like, how, how well was it received sort of when it came out in comparison to, say, some of the other, I suppose, better-known shooters? Yeah, well, it was definitely a very late release in the MSX2. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was it was almost when MSX2 Plus had come out, but it's, it is exclusively for the MSX2. It will run on MSX2 Plus, but it doesn't it doesn't in, use any MSX2 Plus features to further enhance itself. Oh, okay. Um, so oh, okay. you'd probably say it's an example of pushing MSX2 hardware to the uh, to the max, and that's what that's why I picked it because it is one that really shows what you can do when you know how to push that level of hardware uh, very well. So you're talking, I suppose, we'd be talking about 86. Okay. Okay. And would, would have been Japan. Primarily Japan. Japan. And um, and because, it's, especially since it's on floppy, um, it's not a game you would find in, in Europe. Whereas <laughs> LS1, you can't, there were copies released in Europe. Oh, okay. Nice. And- didn't I seem to recall when we were chatting before the show that I think uh, Damon, you mentioned that this is actually a Master System game as well. It got moved, ported over. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So how does yeah, it compare compi- to the Master System version, Tony? Yeah. So Compile released both of the list games for the Master System. The first one was called Power Strike, and was released in most of the world. In America, it was released as a mail order. Uh, title, so it has a, a, an uncolourful colour, actually blue and white, the copies in America, and they're quite rare because you have to mail off to get them, but the rest of the world was released as a shelf title. They also converted LS2 to the Master System and also westernised it, so they changed the theme. So mm-hmm. it is the same game, but the theme has been changed from more um, uh, steam, more to more steampunk, I would say the style is on the Mars system. Oh, okay. um, it's only released in Australia and Germany. So it's horrifically expensive. It is one of the most expensive titles on the Mars system by the Smurf game. Oh. Um, unless you bought it for $2 from Cash Converters Complete Boxed. Yeah, and it is the most common and is most common in Australia. So we are lucky in this respect. Yes, yes. And, and if you, oh, I would say it's pretty much the best shooter on the Master System. Yeah, it's very good. And if you put your uh, Master System into Japanese mode, if you've got like a region switch, it actually changes the title screen to a list. It does, yes. Yes. 
Oh, that's pretty cool. It was very similar. Unfortunately, a less uh, sorry, um, Power Strike Two does not have an FM um, soundtrack in it. No. But if, you, but if you've got an FM chip for your master system and you put in Power Strike One, you will get the FM music, and that is exactly the same as a list. Very cool. good. Okay. Wow. Okay. Cool. So thanks, Danny. So Damien, what what was your your first one up? All right, let's talk about Xenon 2. Now, um, I had an Atari 520 STFM in high school. Um, Condolences. I got a power pack. What's that? Condolences. Ah, look, I had a lot of fun. Got a lot of respect, a lot of time for the for the Atari ST. Um, there was a power pack that came with it that had a, a great selection of games, some not so good in there, but still a great starting point. Anyway, I had bugger all money back then and buying brand new games was prohibitively expensive so i really had to save my pocket money and get something that really looked the goods and the first game i ever bought was xenon 2 for the atari st um so i saw it in magazines it looked really good as far as i'm concerned when you've got 16-bit games this really showcased like the power that the 16-bit computers could could output on games. Very detailed. Uh, magazines, very, very good reviews for it. Uh, it was Bitmap Brothers, programmed by those guys, known for quality. And the intro music. Mega uh, Blast. Mega, Mega Blast by Bomb the Bass. And, well, I was just amazed. I thought it was amazing. It was basically, well, it sounded like it was playing samples and when I saw the intro loading up uh, and the, the the Mega Blast music, my God, I'm in for a ride here. The one thing that really did disappoint me when I was playing the game is that the Mega Blast music wasn't actually playing uh, as it was in the intro. It was more like a scaled back tune and it didn't do too well with sound effects playing at the same time, like you'd be shooting and mm -hmm. some part of the music would drop out, uh, especially on the Atari ST version. But uh, I think it's a very, very Euro vertical shooter. map Now, what I mean by that is that it was actually pretty good at the time and the graphics are really sharp, but the gameplay probably has aged a bit and wasn't really as good as the kind of Japanese type shoot 'em ups mm -hmm. um it's just like the 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 patterns of the enemies um and and the way things sort of flow together didn't really have that i don't know it, it didn't really have that full arcade feel if you know what i mean comparing it to you know the Japanese stuff it, you play well, in arcades yeah, look, it, it definitely has a, a chunky feel to it. Um, mm. it. At times, like, I find, like, it's, like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's still enjoyable, but, yeah, it, it mm. has a real sort of chunky feel that games like Swiv also had where they were fast, yeah. but they just, I don't know, a little bit. But I know it, it was also interesting because, you know, you could fly backwards. Yeah, yeah, uh, there which were parts was, where you could Go backwards, yeah. Um, and, you know, the upgrading your weapons through the shop and stuff, which, again, was a mm. more of a, a home computer thing than an arcade shooter style. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but, you know, at the time, though, mm. you know, it just blew me away. 
No, it was fantastic. So. Oh, absolutely, and it's kind of set in like a a bio shoot 'em up type world. Uh, enemies look they're sort of alive, like space bugs, worms, trilobites, seeing enemies. Um, you know, the, the enemies sort of had that bio space type feel. Uh, and when you shoot, uh, as Aaron was saying, um, in the in the you, you go to a shop. So when you shoot the enemies, you get money, which you can buy extra weapons, etc. At the shop, uh, I think there was a shop from memory uh, midway at the end of the level. Um, yep. One thing that was pretty cool is that you could buy this thing called like a super. I think it was super Nashwan. That's the one weapon, which is basically yep. all weapons all at the same time. But really, it's a waste of money because it only lasts a very short period of time. And as soon as you get out of the shop, it's not like you get a massive onslaught where you can really use it or, you, you know, you can't pull it out to use on, on one of the bosses. So it really is just a bit of a, oh, okay, this is what it looks like when you've got all the weapons. Mm. Yeah, it was. I remember but, that. It was. I think you'd, you'd pick it and you go, yeah, and then it disappears like yeah. 10, 10 or 15 seconds <laughs> later. And it's like, exactly. Oh, oh. But exactly, that's right. It was ridiculous, though. Though this thing, this thing was like a, a ship, and then you had like you know they had extra blasters with strapped on extra blasters, and there was lasers and bubble beams and stuff just going in every direction. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, still, it's very yeah. cool. Yeah, and and the end of level bosses are pretty cool as well. Uh, the level one bosses uh, Nautilus, um, which is which is pretty cool. Level two, you've got a like this creepy spider thing. Uh, you've got like a space serpent on level three, a space dragon on level four, uh, space bug somewhere. And I think once you get to level five, you've got more kind of robot machine type enemies. And the last boss is like a, a, a big spaceship. Uh, it's a hard, I found it a hard game. Uh, the ending, the ending was a bit lame from memory. And now. When I actually compete, completed it, um, I actually needed to use a cheat to get all the way through because I think I, I the best I could do is I get up to level four. But from memory, the um, enemy, uh, sorry, the ending was was quite lame. It's a shoot. Um, it's a shooter, dude. Yeah. Uh, well, expecting, I don't know. I expecting expect story. Some- Expecting stories from shooting up. Sort of write them to the run out of ideas and room. So yeah, that's right. That's I mean, right. Salamander on the MSX, for example, you know, tried to have the whole "Hey, here's this complex story with branching endings and stuff," which was pretty cool for its time. But it's a shoot 'em up. You fly left to right or top to bottom. You shoot the mm. things that come at you. You get a high score. You win, and then you loop over again. Like, uh, go yeah, play, go yeah. play Wing Commander if you want cinematic shooters. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Um, so the Amiga version, uh, which I uh, got later on when I had an Amiga, but it was pirated, as most games were, um, very, very similar. In-game music was slightly better, and the dude in the shop kind of talked in his alien tongue when he went into the shop, whereas on the well, Atari right. ST, yeah. I don't remember that it did. So, yeah, no, I but all... I played it first on the Atari ST as well, so that was mm. my first experience. I didn't see the Amiga version until later. So. Yeah, mm. yeah. But all in all, I think that if you were to look up a, a dictionary definition of Euro 16-bit shoot 'em up that would be a good example to have in there. Mm. Mm. Oh, definitely. No, that's right. I'm not going to do it now. Um, 
<laughs> nah, what are you going to do? Oh, it's all right. So, yeah, look, Tony, it's, I mean, Damien as well. Like, it's it's funny. I think Xenon 2 is one of those ones that comes up like when people talk about a lot of their favourite games quite frequently, just mm. begin because of just the music is amazing. And graphically, mm. it, it, looked, it looked good for when it came out. I think it still looks good mm. now, to be honest. Oh, yeah. And it was just that, it was just that choice of palette uh, that the yeah. um, Matt Brothers mm. chose, and they used it for a lot of their games. Mm. Oh, they did. Look. And it just really made it very, I suppose, mechanical and sci-fi. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was kind of a, a step above in terms of presentation, really, to, to a lot of other games at the time. And, I mean, like, uh, especially for the Atari ST, which, you know, got launched on first, the, it was smooth mm. scrolling, you know. Yes. There was no, tear, no tearing and everything like that. It was just, it was a technical marvel for the time. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Well, um. Sticking, I suppose, just sticking with a um, the theme of upgrading your ship and sort of you know having the shop stuff like from that era. I- I'm going to break with tradition here. My my f- the f- first one I actually went for is Raptor Call of the Shadows on MS DOS from 1994. MS DOS. Yeah. Anyway, so ignore <laughs> ignore you, Damien. Um, but yeah, just honestly because it's I mean look. <sighs> There's so many C64 and Amstrad specy shooters and stuff that were around that were amazing and get talked about ad nausea. But I mean, I was predominantly a DOS a DOS boy back then because my I blew my C64 up for the second time trying to reset it with paper clips. Um, go find an old podcast where I talk about how dumb I used uh, to be. Yeah, exactly. That, that so would be heartbreaking. <laughs> I was stupid. Um, but no, look, Raptor was one of these ones because, you know, the Apogee studio software era of shareware where it was just, okay, we got these games. You could play pretty much the entire first chapter for free, go pay money to get the rest of the game. But um, Raptor was a very unique one because it played a lot like Swiv in that, it, you know, the scrolling top to bottom or top down shooter. You're a, a cool looking jet, fly up, shooting a bunch of stuff. You could collect money, upgrade your ship. Uh, and then you could go and pretty much go back and play it over again. Uh, it butted up the difficulty as you go through. So it, like again for DOS, like DOS in that era, you know when you had you know your SNES, your SNES, NES, Mega Drive, Master System had all their cool shooters. Like this was something that sort of stood out because it played very very well. Um, it had a shielding system which was you know, again different to a lot of your other shooters of the time like Raiden and that where you know one hit kill and that's it uh but yeah it's it was a cool game and it's one that I you know I know I do go back to occasionally I've got it on my my GOG my GOG library um and I know I think there's newer versions out as well of it less uh iOS on the so it must be on the app store so yeah so and dot dot mu 2010 edition ah and .mu 2015 edition. Mm, okay, there you go. Um, so I won't bother asking Damon if he's ever played it because I know what the answer will be. Um, Tony, is this one you ever you ever got into? No, I haven't seen it. It looks quite interesting, though. Um, quite a muted palette, you know, like earthy to a lot of um, darker colours by the, the screen. That was pretty standard for a lot of... It's, you know, very VGA-style stuff from that era. Mm. 
but yeah, look, it's... So I, it's, I was, about, it's available on Steam for those people who are rapidly looking for it. So. Mm. Uh, look, be, <laughs> I think a lot of DOS people would have played it from back then if you had a, you know, a 486 or a 486, like this was, you know, definitely one, one you'd pick up. Uh, and it's one, like I said, I always loved. Um, but yeah, wow. You boys just, I think I need to really sit you both down one of these days with a, uh, a DOS, a DOS machine and actually go over some of this, some of this stuff because you're missing out. Oh, sorry. I was just asleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ever heard about trying new things, Damien? I've got plenty of new things to try. Life is, life is boring in missionary. So, um, Tony, <laughs> did you want to go next? Okay. Um, I'm going to save my big one to last, but for this one, uh, and by the way, I'd just like to correct myself, uh, Aless 2 was 1989. Okay. Good to Late get that right straight. And it also came out, which I didn't know until I was looking at checking my date, because I got my date wrong. It came out for Windows as well. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Because that's also interesting, because my next one is actually Xevious. Uh, specifically, the Far Draught Saga, Xevious Far Draught Saga, which came out for the MSX2 in December 1988 and was also, and I also have this version, for the PC Engine in June of 1990. Um, and it's a just the, the particular version, people who are not familiar with the um, arcade game, it's synonymous with arcades of a particular era because of the sound it made and of the really bright, colourful palette and the metallic tones, I suppose, a lot like, in a way, um, the um, Bitmap Brothers did with um, Xenon. Mm. And, um, you know, it had lots of greens, metallic colours, uh, very... Distinctive sounds. You can definitely know when you hear a Xevious um, game playing in the background. So the um, the version of the game on the MSX2 has a pretty much arcade perfect port of the of the main game, but it also has adventure mode where you can select oh, your starting wow. ship. Okay. Um, and you and the original game you didn't have power ups. You just basically had your main ship and you fought your way through and you had lives. Yep. And in adventure yep. mode, you can actually uh, collect things, get different ships, and add on to your ships. This includes um, uh, more firepower to the front, so mm -hmm. ships on the uh -huh. side, shields, and all sorts of different power-ups that you can collect on the way. And there's that more sounds reward. cool. Yeah, there's more reward for shooting the ground targets. The MSX2 and the PC Engine version are very, very similar indeed. So the PC Engine has that um, adventure mode in it as well, does it? It does, yes. That sounds very interesting. I'd like to like to check that out. But, uh, as I said, next time we have a gathering, we'll have to have a um, a head to head mm. on. Um, Jeez. But a, a very it was one of the first true MSX two games I, I got when I um, started collecting MSX titles because you've got to remember that back in the day there were no MSX twos in Australia other than technically underneath our noses in the fact that Spectre Video 738s were actually not quite finished MSX2 computers. Mm. Little did we know back then with a couple of additional components and burning some new ROMs who could have had an MSX2 computer. Um, the only way you could get an MSX2 computer was ordering one through directly from Japan. Um, 
So my exposure to MSX2 titles back in the day was virtually zero. Um, mm. And lucky friends in Europe actually had MSX2 and had it for quite some time and had lots of models. So they got releases such as the CDS locally. So mm -hmm. um, it's Zevius is not as a rarer a title as LS2, um, although it does go for a bit of money. Um, it is attain obtainable for a reasonable price, and it's well worth getting if you're a fan of vertical shooters. Hmm. Interesting. So it's interesting, though. That's one PC that Damien is all over, but yet you mentioned the actual PC and... <sighs> nah, nah. It's like, you know, you've got the really cool kid and then you've got the horrible nerd in the corner being MS-DOS. Nah, sorry. <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> Keep trying. There's right no. and there's right and you'll find that I'm right. Um <laughs> Ah, yeah, but Zevius is one of those funny ones, though, Tony. Like, it was on everything as well. Yes, yes. Kind yeah, of like, lo not as bad as Load Runner, but it definitely is still on everything. I've even, I've even got a Zevius for Amstrad. Um, it's one of those ones where it does use the, that uses the low-resolution, colour, more colourful mode and a reduced window size, mm -hmm. but it is a bit slow. Well, that's that part of the course with most Amstrad games, anyway. Oh yeah, yeah, I haven't seen. I believe there's a Spectrum version, but I haven't seen that one. Um, was there a Commodore sixty four version? Yep, yeah. it definitely was, and it was okay. It was very C sixty four. I think that's the nice way to put it. Yep, <laughs> I think that's yeah. the nice way. It, it, it has it has that look of yeah C sixty four. Um, uh, and there is a version of Xevious and Super Xevious on the Famicom. Mm -hmm. um, I believe the Xevious one made it to America with on the NES, but not Super Xevious. Uh, the Xevious is fairly, shall we say, like a lot of early NES games, is a little bit um, muted palette. Not that colourful. Plays okay. Super Xevious is a lot better. I. I I assume there are some additives in the cartridge for that one. Mm. Okay. It's a much heavier cartridge too when you get it. So. Mm. Okay. Heck, even the uh, Apple II got a port of Xevious. Ooh. Maybe when I eventually get my Apple II working again. <laughs> ah, one day. One cool. day. Oh. Oh. So, Damon, do you want to do you want to dive in next, or should I? Yeah, no, that's all right. I'll, I'll jump in. Um, let's talk about Silkworm on the Amiga. Oh, nice. So I started out playing Silkworm on the on the C64. Um, so it's like a horizontally scrolling shoot 'em up. Uh, you can have up to two players simultaneous. Uh, one being a jeep, and another being the helicopter. Now the helicopter really was the way to go for if you were playing a two-player game. That's the one you wanted to go for. The jeep was uh, hard to control because it was land-based. Um, but funnily enough, the Jeep, you could jump. I don't know how they managed to achieve that in terms of how would a Jeep jump. But anyway, they did. Knight Rider um, did it just fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it was the um, the Jeep version of Kit, perhaps. Yeah, uh, it was perhaps. pretty decent fun, really good. 
Now, um, Silkworm was one of the first uh, games I had when I actually got an Amiga, um, through, you know, through the, the, the playground network. <laughs> and it blew me away um, in, on the Amiga versus the actual uh, C64 version. Uh, the the title screen had, like, realistic sound, like drums and bass guitar. I thought, oh, wow, what is this? This is just, like, you know, rock music. Uh, sound, and, and when you actually started to play the game, the sound effects were so good. You had these really meaty explosions. It was like I turned up the, the sound um, as you know, pretty much as far as I could handle it. It was like being punched in the guts when you, um, you know, when you shot the enemies and and things were, you know, blowing up. It was just so punchy. Yeah, yeah. I actually played the Atari ST version of this first uh, with yep. a, a playground copy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I actually, I don't think I actually played the Amiga version until I played it at the very first PAX here in Australia. Yeah. Oh, right, really? Mm. Wow, wow. Um, and, yeah, occasionally um, when the screen would fills up, there, there, there's, like, it's a, there's a bit of slowdown. Um, yeah. Slow yeah. Down. Yeah, the, the levels, they're all a little bit samey sometimes, but they're nice and colourful and uh, end-of-level bosses are a little bit disappointing. Um, they're, like, a little bit bigger than some of the bigger enemies. Um, and they're usually like a, a slightly bigger helicopter or a tank. Um, once you get all the way th- through to the um, uh, the last level, it is a bit different though. It's kind of a um, oh, it's it? like it it's like, like a- you're inside a computer, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, like inside a computer. That, that was actually really cool. And uh, when you get to the end, uh, you've got like a, a different boss. Uh, and there's like an absolutely huge explosion that happens at the end. It's really great. Uh, and one of the one of the funniest things about the game is the end of game message. Um, it contained a little bit of um, British humour, something about um, you know about the villagers uh, find everything destroyed. Um, so they hold a meeting in the local pub um, and see the funny side of it, or something like that. Uh, so I thought that was like a nice little bit of touch on the end. I can just see the developers chucking that, chucking that in. Uh, but yeah, great, great fun, especially for two players. And uh, I think that it's, it's, it's really something that um, shows the, the the power of the Amiga really in in, in a good shoot 'em up. Mm. I also see here, and I didn't realise it actually came out for the Nintendo as well. So I've never seen mm. that. But- Probably the less said about it, the better. Um, uh-huh. So, so yeah. when, when did it, sorry, um, when did it come out? Was the arcade version before or after the home? Like, what what um, spawned it, what? It doesn't. What does it say? So it's pretty much, out. it was nineteen eighty nine. The home the home versions came out, but the game itself yeah. came out in eighty eight. Eighty eight in arcade. So yeah, right. So it's from memory. It's a Z eighty based game. Uh, Nothing super exciting, like you know, it wasn't anything spectacular, but it was, yeah, like you said, enough that I mean, the Amiga was more than capable of handling. And I think it's, I think by far is if we were going to talk about uh, Arcade Perfect, you know, if, mm. if, you, if you're going to sort of hand those awards out, like for me, Silkworm is probably one of the on the Amiga is the best version of it by far. 
It's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the Amiga version's awesome. So. I mean, the the funny thing, like, it was there was some other, I suppose, unique stuff about it. I mean, the fact that you know, if you were the visitor or the little the little sibling, you're always the jeep. Um, yeah. I know. I never. I know. I never got to play as the helicopter when I went round to my Amiga mate's place um, because he was a bastard. Uh, but, <laughs> but um, no, look. It, but it was interesting because I mean, you had things like you know the shield. You could fight over it. And again, mm. if you're a bastard, you'd shoot the shield and screw your helicopter mate over. Yes, you could um, do that. I remember now. Yeah, I mean, which it was also tactical at times. You could you know get yourself shielded, shoot up, shoot it, and just wait for a whole bunch of enemies on there to get the smart bomb to go off. But Yes. The the one thing I know Silkworm did, and it still stuffs me to this day, is that once you get beyond, uh, I think it's level seven, level eight, it will comes up and says, "Oi, just FYI, if you continue, you're coming back here." Um, so yeah, if you get to like the final boss, you pretty much you can't try and just save scum or continue scum it. You you get sent back through levels yeah, to fight yeah. your way through, which was for the time a, a pretty unique way of dealing with and i don't know if the arcade did that uh if anyone's listening and knows feel free but i've never played it in the arcade and i've certainly never um and i also can't get my arcade pcb to work so yeah i actually played it in the arcade uh it was at Leisureland in hobart uh but i was pretty crap at it in the arcade so yeah. i never really yeah, got that far. Yeah, I have this faint memory of perhaps playing it in the arcade somewhere, but I can't lock it down. So. Yep. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's obviously as well, the, funnily enough, that we got the... And the Amiga also was home to the, the unofficial sequel. Swiv. Swiv. Yeah, Swiv. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good, good game. Um, quite, quite different. Mm. It, it's kind of less arcade-like, I, I think. Uh, it was more of a... Oh, more of a typical Amiga shooter, I guess, the off the sequel. Um, whereas I found the you know Silkworm being a lot more of an arcade type shooter. Yeah. Obviously, being an arcade, <laughs> an, arcade <laughs> an arcade game, that would make sense. Yep, that's it. Ah, uh, no, Swiv, Swiv is brilliant and probably a, a good topic for another day as well because it's mm. it held up very well. But nice, cool, well. I'm going to dive on straight on to my, probably one of my all-time favourite C64 games, and that's Parallax. Mm, nice. Yeah. Um, I think there's probably not a lot you could say about this that anyone that listens to this podcast doesn't already know, but here we go anyway. Once you got past the, the 10-minute epic that is the um, Martin Galway intro, um, and which is to this day still one of my favourite tunes from the system. Um, yeah. You sort of get presented with this game. Um, you know, you spawn in. You're a spaceship that's sitting on a, yeah, sitting in a space like a futuristic computer sort of environment. Um, things flying everywhere, and not really a lot of indication of what the heck you actually have to do. Mm, At least yes. if you're like me and you never owned an official version of it, you definitely had no manual, so you had no idea. Um, I which- had an re- I had an official version. Mm. There you go. I had yeah. uh, it was in a compilation called Six Star Hits. Oh yeah, yep. yeah. So, um, but it was. I mean, for those that let's just assume that people listening have no idea what Parallax is. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> it's the name given to a graphical technique to scroll the background at a different rate 
than the foreground, which gives you an illusion of depth. So back in sort of, you know, the, the early days, that was how we sort of got those really cool 3D effects. Um, I mean, it's something these days that is used to in pretty much everything and no one really bats an eyelid at it anymore. Um, but, you know, back back in the 80s when Parallax came out, it was, it, it was you know, this nearly unheard of thing, especially on home, home systems, because you know, a lot of them said it either couldn't be done or you, know, you didn't really see it. But, yeah, Parallax was probably one of the earliest ones that use it. I think there may have been one or two others before, but it definitely was what, you know, stood this apart. I mean, while the the background or the the under the under I suppose map was pretty simple in its design, it it yeah, still used it to great effect. Um, but mm. I mean, the game itself. So you know, you're a spaceship, cool. Uh, but the whole idea being that you have to fly around, shoot stuff, land, get out of your ship, and then which in itself was. Again, a uh, pretty unheard of at the time where you got had to get out, run into pyramids to capture scientists, get money, find codes to move on to the next area. And then as, as you work your way through finding codes to finally get around to the, the last boss to defeat it. I've never been able to do that, mostly because I think it's around the third area. There's a crusher puzzle that you've got to time mm. perfectly to fly through and I could never do it. So it's, it's tough. It's absolutely tough. Um, but what was what else was interesting with with Parallax was that in playing to the name of the fact that it was you know it had that that scrolling there you could actually fly below the map which at times where the the shooting activity got a little bit too frantic up high you could duck over to one of the open spaces push push forward or push up on the stick and you'd actually drop below the scenery and you could fly around. Mm. Uh, and the other the other thing that it did you know it did really really well was the fact that you also had damage so you you didn't just simply get shot once and you're dead uh, you could actually end up in a situation where you lose you'd lose your lasers you'd lose your landing gear you could have all these other things happen where you'd have to then try and stay the heck away from everything until yes the ship slowly repairs itself uh it was yeah like i said it was unique it had it had mm. a lot of humor to it that again probably british very british yeah uh, absolutely which I think, you know, if anyone anyone knows knows them, that uh, John Hare and Chris Yates both did a absolutely cracking job with it. Uh, yeah. You know, who would go on to do quite a lot of other rather popular titles. Mm, mm. So, uh, but yeah, did you? I mean, Damien, it probably goes without saying you've played it to bits. But Tony, is it one you ever touched? Uh, actually, no, I haven't. I haven't actually played it at all. Oh. I do believe I've seen video of it, but I don't think I've actually played that one at all. I mean, this is a, probably a very sad state of affairs, but um, mm-hmm. it's it's very good. I, I find that unexpectedly, when you sort of if you were to load it up today and think, "Oh, okay, I've just had a bit of a look," yeah, it doesn't interest me. If you actually take the time to to play, there's actually a fair bit of depth there that it's mm-hmm. you don't really realise. Mm. Um, and as Aaron has described about how the you know the damage system works, how you have to like land and get out and rescue scientists and all that sort of stuff, there's actually a fair bit to it. And um, and the graphics and the scrolling is just it's just first rate. Like they really they really did a good job with it. Now, what I find is as well is the best way to watch the intro is to play it at night. Turn all the lights off, hide behind the couch, and just sort of peek over and watch the 
kind of epileptic fit inducing flashing on the screen and the the <laughs> music is just like a it's it's I'd almost call it a work of art it is just it is just that good is that co- is that code for get really high and wonder what's uh, what's out there look get high on your own supplies <laughs> I think you can you can put yourself into some sort of state without um, assistance just by watching mm-hmm. that <laughs> and maybe keeping your eyes open for more than a couple of minutes oh, yes, you really could yeah, it sounds really cool it is but look it's look if for some weird reason that there are people listening that have never played parallax like honestly go go grab a yeah go find the disc image fire up your favorite emulator and and have a go but definitely do yourself a favor and grab the manual because it's i mean Mm. while it's fun discovering some of this stuff on your own it's going to be one of those ones where you probably will just fly around and go great i'm shooting stuff uh okay you won't realize there's more to it yeah Um, yeah no, very good there. Mm, indeed. So, okay, so where are we at? That would be Tony. Right. So <clears throat> staying on the MSX2, but also um, uh, introducing a bit of MSX2 Plus here. Because oh. it runs on and enhances itself when it runs on an MSX2 Plus. I know we where we're going. Great, we have the renowned, we have the Konami shooter that did not have an arcade version. And is only found on MSX hardware, and that is none other than Space Mambo. So what a, we what a great title! Two, yeah, we've covered off two vertical shooters with the previous one. This one not only gives you vertical, it gives you horizontal as well. So it scrolls both ways. Um, they they do the horizontal scrolling on the MSX two in software, uh, but they do it so well that it is barely noticeable. Um, but it's not quite as smooth. But you play it on MSX two plus and uh, it has that extra color palette range, hardware, mm-hmm. horizontal scrolling, in addition to the vertical scrolling. And on both systems, the soundtrack is to be uh, is to be believed. If you play it on an MSX2 with an add-on music card or you've got an MSX2 Plus with MSX music built into it, um, yeah, I mean, it does have an SEC sound chip on it as well, but it'll use whatever is in the machine in addition to what is in the cartridge. So you can have up to six channels of beautiful, beautiful oh, wow, sound, wow. music, and fast gameplay, hard gameplay, um, complex gameplay that keeps it you discovering. Is. You do need a good memory, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're right. It's uh, oh, that was when I finally got my my MSX2 and actually got the flash cart working. That was pretty much the first game I tried. And yeah, it's uh, I don't know. We, we talk about Salamander, uh, like on the NES, and I think the C64 being a bit horrible where it forces you to follow a specific path or you die. Um, but I think, yeah, the first time I got into the one of the horror, the vertical uh, elevator sections in Space Mambo where you've got to time your flying in and out, almost like Cybernoid, actually. Uh, where you've got to you know, time that, get into the elevator and very slowly creep down as the screen crawls with you, uh, but then got killed because it gives you like areas where you know there's like no gap 
and you go, oh, I'll just do this again, and then you get squashed because the screen doesn't scroll fast enough. That, yeah, that's you, sort of you when you know. So you need to know when to move. Unfortunately, so. yeah, it's 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 something else. And um, it's also you know it has the you're obviously moving through the inside of ships, but you also fly around large ships and land vehicles. The it just has so much in the game. There is just it, it's a massive cartridge too. It is all cartridge based but it is a massive, massive cartridge. Um, and they just fit so much content in there. And it's a Konami game that never made it to the arcade. Wow. Yeah. Sounds awesome. And conversely, it's one that never got ported pretty much anywhere else. No, that's right. It's the only system that's on bar in recent times. It ended up on the Wii Virtual Console and I believe the Windows Store. Hang on, what? Hang on, the what? Wii Virtual Console? Oh, really? Um, so I, I'm just confused about that being that I, I didn't know that they would have put a yeah, MS... Nintendo Wii Virtual Console service on the 24th, 2009, and, uh, and it came out in the Wii U on 2014, so they re-released it, and for the Windows Store, Project Egg. It's very interesting. Mm. Mm. Curious about that. Mm. Because, yeah, the... Um, mm, okay, one to have a look at. And if you want to know a little bit more about it, grab the Konami Shoot'em Ups MSX Shooters, so the Hardcore Gaming 101 book off Amazon. It, don't think I've seen that. You have that. Don't you? Yeah, I do. Yes, I'll have to show it to you next time around. And, and actually, it gives the entire history of Konami shooters um, mm -hmm. and um, illustrates how half of them are covered on the MSX. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they, they really are. Yeah, Konami, basically, the MSX was Konami's home computer system. I think it's a good, exa good example. If you haven't played it, you should. But again, the MSX2 version, if you can, MSX2 Plus version, if you can, if you're going to emulate it, it definitely would be my my choice. Yeah, just yeah, purely because MSX you're going to get plus, yeah on on the emulator. Better. Um, oh, cool. Well, that's my. Oh, it's a shame I don't have a cartridge of it because I could take it to PAX, but I don't have a cartridge of it, and I'm not going to take yours because yes. I think that's even harder to find than um, Vampire Killer, isn't it? Oh, Vampire Killer is, is particularly common in comparison. Um, and so not only is Space Mambo not particularly uh, in large, wasn't sold in large quantities because it was released in um, 89, um, but it's, um, uh, it's everybody wants it. So. Holy mother of mercy. Uh, you didn't just look up how much it was, did you? How much? Oh, I just did. Uh, there's a cheap one here tested for $407 Australian. <laughs> Is that a little um, <laughs> No, that's boxed. No, no manual, though. Uh, I can get a manual version for $520. Uh, no. And it is not well, the most the expensive MSX game, but it's getting bl blinking close. That is obscene. And if people, wow. If people want to know the trivia, the most expensive MSX game I've seen sold was a copy of Ultima 1. Huh. 
And it there went, you go. And it went oh. for twelve. Went for twelve hundred dollars. But does it have? But did it have the boat song? Boat song. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Well. Damon, I'll let you go last, but I'm going to dive in here because I'm sure you've got an absolute cracker, and I'm guessing my the response to my next pick is going to be lukewarm. Uh, I'm going back to 1984 for this one, and specifically, yet another MS-DOS title, but Sopwith. Crickets. Crickets. <sighs> Again. <laughs> real, hang on, Tony, what? Hang on, you've, you've never played Sopwith? No. So- Interesting. Okay. So, it's basically, it's a 1984 uh, DOS title, which was, you know, XT. I think there's a, and someone that plays DOS stuff more than me is probably going to have to correct me on, it's, you know, ones where you used to have to boot off the disc, like you had to, you couldn't just boot to a command interpreter and then run this, although there were later versions that you, you did, like Alley Cat and stuff like that. Um, but Sopwith pretty much is a, title where you're flying a sop with camel and the idea being is you have to shoot the opposing planes bomb factories and once you've done all that you win and you fly into the sunset at which point the game kicks you back to dos um <laughs> congratulations but look, it has good old cga graphics too it's gorgeous honestly i i have memories of playing this back pretty much around this that era where it was, you know, the friends, the token friends that had an XT or had a, you know, era machine of that era where you'd go and play this this cool game where I'm a, you know, a biplane dropping bombs. Now, it's a, for those that have ever played it, like it has a mini-map, so it feels almost similar to Choplifter in the sense of, you know, you're flying around backwards and forwards, you can land to do stuff but yeah the idea being is you drop bombs you could fly upside down do loops uh it it's basic by today's standards but honestly it's a it's a very cool little i suppose slice of dos history which again back then didn't really have a lot in the way of games you know games on the platform so it it stands out uh and one if you if you go and hit up sopwith.org that's s o p w i t h.org is actually an entire site that um you can actually play play it download it you probably want to use um dosbox because unless you happen to have a um xt like that runs at about 2 to 4 megahertz you're just not going to be able to do anything um <laughs> uh, but look yeah it's definitely I, I would encourage anyone that sort of yeah likes that era sort of stuff, go go grab it and have a crack at it. Uh, I know it also had spawned a bunch of sequels. There's still like a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, what's the word? I suppose fan base that is more than just me. Uh, but again, you boys just, uh, I think we've got to do some work with you lads because silly. This is not this, well enough, so... Now this this is an era this is an era of vintage computing that I think does get overlooked a lot even though yeah you know, they weren't they don't have tapes unless you count backup tapes mm. you know, there was a lot of incredibly good games and stuff that came out in that time that I think get over get overlooked a little bit in comparison to the the C64 and the Speckies and the the consoles of the era so but yeah that's up with and um that's my hill and I'm going to I'm going to die on it fight me <laughs> 
Oh, definitely an interesting pick. Absolutely. All right. So, all right, Damien, wow us. Uh, well, look, I'm not going to wow you, uh, but I look before I, I go over my last one, just a, a few little um, uh, for my favourite 64 shoot-em-ups that I just want to mention in name. Um, Salamander, um, as you've recently talked about, Aaron, so good. Nemesis, very good. um, Again, so good as well. Gyrus, how good was that on the 64? My God. Iridium, you've already talked about Parallax. Delta, Rain on Bungling Bay, a lot of fun there. Um, And and look, I think we can stick this in that Shoot 'em up category. Would you stick Whizball in the shoot 'em up category? Yeah. Not sure. Yes. Well, it's made by the same yeah same lads from um, Parallax. So yeah, it absolutely is in How that category. How good is Whizball? Oh my god! It's it's one of the games I've actually played through on my C sixty four mini recently as well. So so good. All right. Um, last game I might talk about uh, again on the Amiga. Battle Squadron. Battle oh, Squadron, oh, full name, um, the, destru- the Destruction of the Barracks Empire. Uh, sequel to a game called Hybris. Uh, so do you guys know it? Uh, I, I think Crickets. I have definitely played it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, developed by some guy called Martin Pedersen. I think might be Danish. I don't know, not sure. It's a vertical shooter. It's got, I think it's got a real arcade feel to it. It's got big sprites, big music, really cool title loading music. Uh, it's got, you know, kind of meaty sound effects. Uh, graphics are, are, are really nice and crisp. Reminds me of, of, of a few arcade games that not exactly the same, but just remind me of like Truxton and Varth, Raiden. Um, you've got kind of like uh, things on the ground that you shoot as well as things in the air. So there's like fixed sort of, um, I don't know, gun turrets and, and stuff like that, things coming in on like rail tracks on ground level. But in the, in the air, you've got obviously spaceships and all that coming mm-hmm. across. So it kind of uh, ran a pattern of uh, you would, first of all, be – shooting along the the top of the planet i guess and then you would go underground and you'd have to deal with the underground bit and that sort of you know went on for a a few different levels um it actually had that scrolling left to right as well to get like the the full screen uh I, i think that what they managed to pull off is is technically very good uh, and when I when I play it, like it did have a Mega Drive conversion, but I think it was just uh, a lot more impressive uh, on the Amiga. So you had um, sort of big weapons that had that arcade feel, like the um, like the bullets that would spread out. Then you'd have like the other uh, weapons being like sort of a more sort of I don't know fire type thing that that had a, a different mm-hmm. pattern. Uh, yep. And also when you shot a lot of the ground enclosures, you got um, little sort of bonus things that you could pick up. I think, I don't know whether they, I can't remember now whether they just gave you points and you had like the, the, the smart bomb uh, type thing. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, uh, I used to, to like to play through that a lot. 
especially because you know just the the music, the sound effects, the the quality of the graphics. Um, just like to spend a lot of time on it. I've never played it. Never, never. played it. I recommend you do. Only if you play Sop with first. <sighs> That's not a fair trade. One and, game and, that and, I haven't and, played for a game that you haven't played. I think that's more than fair. Yeah, and the game you all must play, written by a very talented programmer, the original Spectre Video and the MSX, is, of course, Pixadis. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely would play that. <laughs> it had Paranax scrolling. Suck up. Whoa. But did it have a cracking Martin Galway theme song? No, it actually had um, bugger all. It had no music at all and very disappointing sound effects because it ran out of room. Maybe you should, you should. Uh, maybe you should go and get in touch with Martin and ask him if he'd um, score a uh, modern remake of it for you. <clears throat> well, I, I am actually looking at um, releasing an enhanced version for the MSX and Coleco with proper soundtrack. I've, I've already actually enhanced the, um, the actual player of it. Oh, nice. Yep. Okay. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe there's your, maybe there's your chance. Go and, go and, go and hit up some of the uh, the classic, the classic composers that are that are certainly um, plying their trade still, and see who can come and give you some tunes. Yes, yeah, so, see, unfortunately, back in the day, I targeted the original Spectre Video through and eight, and I had you had twelve point five k free. Oh, I even had to chop the third level short because it didn't have quite enough room. So, time for MSX two enhanced. Mm. Special edition. <laughs> but uh, oh, cool. Well, I think there's there's definitely a a bit of a bit of ground covered there as far as things go. But I mean, as I said at the start, you know, the it, it's a topic that we could probably sit here for the next hour oh, or two still <laughs> longer. Like there is just so so many that even even if you want to go to places like Commando, which while it's not a space shmup. It's still a shmup, and it's still one of the best C sixty four shooters there is. Uh, I mean, Cybernoid, Tempest on the, the Atari ST. Mm. I'm trying to think of a good a good specy. You could probably pick any system, any computer system yep. at all, and just stick with shooters, and you would find a large number of entertaining titles. <laughs> just not sal- just not Salamander on the uh, Amstrad CPC. No, no. But even, well, if, the- even if you put out the original TRS-80, that had some very decent games uh, mm. with graphical limitations of the system. I remember playing uh, Scramble Clone and Space Invaders Clone yep. and even a Defender Clone that were actually really good fun to play. Well, it's, mm. it's, funny, it's, funny, it's funny you say, like, Scramble was probably one of the other ones that was, I think, yeah, you know, very easy to copy. So we we got a lot of ports of it, uh, and also shoot other shooters. I suppose we didn't really mention is stuff like uh, Fort Apocalypse and that horrible Airwolf game that was on a lot of those systems as well. Mm. You know, there was a lot of those. I suppose exploration shooters that uh, you know again, I think were the bread and butter of the time. Like there were so many of them. That's they right. were. But, and they, uh, suited these, they suited the micro as well. Mm, they Don't did. forget, um, the BBC Micro uh, was home to many, many great arcade shooter clones. Or well, even if you take the version of Galaxian that was on the mm. BBC Micro, that was, uh, that was awesome. Mm. Actually, 
And actually, I was about to say, don't forget too. There's uh, the lady that released a sh- was the new game for the Be- new shooter for the Beebs uh, earlier this year. White Light, it was called. Yeah, it was released uh, earlier this year. That looks very, very cool. I think it's it's only on disc at this stage. I don't believe the um, author has released it on just as a ROM file. It looks very, very cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, by Rugset Games. We've probably covered off as many as we want to, unless we want to really push this one out. John, any, any shout-outs for the three of you? All three of us? Ha, um, I need, well, I'll go I need more coffee. A pertinent, pertinent one for um, something I received in the mail today. Um, to the guys and devs at Kai Magazine, uh, they have released a new game for the MSX uh, that also requires you as an MSX owner to have at least an MSX2 and a V9990 Paragraph expansion card. And if you don't have an MSX2 Plus already with MSX Music in it, you also need a some form of FM sound card as well. Um, so they've released a game for that limited configuration, um, and I'm telling you now they've sold quite a large number of copies, and I'm extremely, extremely impressed. So a shout-out to Kai Magazine, because they are awesome. Woohoo! That's insane. But then again... <laughs> No, I did see the video earlier on, actually, Tony, and it does it does look very the very Rolling Thunder style. But unlike the micro versions of Rolling Thunder, it actually looks fun. Yeah, and uh, yeah, well, pe- people see my um, my Twitter and Instagram feed and my Facebook page for a bit of video on that. And I'll do my second one. I'll also shout out Keith S. Keith S. Who he had on the show um, with his Chibi Acumus conversions. Um, because mm-hmm. he's about to release um, for several more systems in the next few days, and he's going to release all the source code as well. So, oh, awesome. I saw his, saw his post just the other day, so do check him out. It's nice to see a bullet hell shooter that he has ported across to every single system he can get his hands on. He has yes. been, and the, the lucky soul also got himself a um, junk X68000 not too long ago that he's actually got up and running. Oh, he's got it. So, um, oh, awesome! Yeah, apparently it was a <sighs> nice. couple of minor things, and yeah, it's running beautifully. So now very, very jealous. Him, we've got to convince him that he can find another one who needs to send that one to us. Ah, yeah, wishful thinking. Um, <laughs> which uh, and yeah, Keith, if you're listening as well, again, yeah, thank thank you very much for the the MSX too because it's been getting a lot of use, and we'll be at PAX for those coming. So I might have to get to. Chibi Akuma's on... Oh, no, I can't use flashcards. That's frustrating. Mm. <sighs> anyway, I digress. So, anyone else, Tony? No, I'm, I'm out for the moment, yep. Oh, Damo? Uh, yeah, just um, shout out to um, Mr. Oz Retro Gamer. Always love seeing his posts and updates come through on Facebook. And also say good day to the... Fellow uh, podcasters with their long-running show, Retro Domination. Um, I've uh, working my way through the back catalogue. I think I'm up to about episode 46 now, <laughs> so it's probably like from five years ago. But uh, I have listened to a few uh, of their recent episodes as well. So it's um, it, it almost feels like when I'm watch, uh, listening to those older episodes that like they were only taped uh, last week. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's from, from quite some time ago. So, hi. And, um, yep, g'day to 
Arcade Perfect. Harry 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 Ballsack and Tagster. Yeah. <laughs> Harry why you gotta be so unkind? <laughs> it's Daz, I have to be. No, Daz, yeah. we love we love you. Maybe I thought it would have been smooth ballsack might have been more appropriate, but what would I know? Crickets. <laughs> Don't give me you can't give me crickets. <laughs> Oh, we love you, Daz. We love you. Oh, dear. Well, oh, hey, that's that's not good. What have you done? Oh, I just found some copper wiring on the floor that I nearly stepped on, which looks like it's come out of one of my uh, video cables that I was making up earlier on. Come out of one of your PowerPoints? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> Although, given my, tr- given my track record, it's entirely possible. Um, Oh, that's everyone for you? Cool. Well, look, for me, obviously, same same as Demo. Big shout-outs to Tagster and Daz for having me on the other night. Um, if you haven't listened to the Salamander episode of the Arcade Perfect podcast, go check them out on iTunes and everywhere else you find good podcasts. Uh, definitely cover off a, quite a few versions of the game and find out which one is worthy of flushing. Uh, I'd also like a massive shout-out to... There isn't actually one, believe it or not. Um, but the Amstrad CPC version might as well be because it is atrocious. Uh, also, to a massive, massive shout out to Jared from Retro Revolutions. Again, I mentioned the links at the start of the, se- the show, but words cannot express just how utterly amazing the, the project has been and just what the final product is looking like. So at this stage, given it's start of October, I'm expecting it to arrive some point next week. Um, so just ahead of going over to PAX, uh, which I'll be yeah, getting it all hooked up and having a crack. So if you've not seen the videos, they're, they're on YouTube now. I've shared them onto the Press Play on Tape Facebook page as well. Uh, but look, yeah, Jared, words don't ex- you know, cannot go as far as express just how generous and how amazing the whole thing is. So dude, it rocks. And I'm looking, for- and I'm looking forward to catching up with him at PAX when he's there on the Saturday. Uh other than that, also quick shout out to Freakin' Frankie. Been a long time since you, you, you've uh, come up on the show, but yeah, finally going to get to say hi. And also, yeah, thanks for thanks for being a um, carrier pigeon for me to take some stuff back over to to Eric for me. So you are a legend, sir. Uh, but with that, that's that's a wrap. So as always, you can find the latest episode by going over to ppot.audio or hitting us up through iTunes, or again, through the Podbean app. Uh, I'd like to thank both gentlemen. Yeah, it's been a little bit since we've we've caught up, but uh, as always, it's been a pleasure. Until next time. Right, see you all guys later. Bye.